Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey, WAG listeners, it's Allison, reminding you that this show cannot be made without you. If you've been thinking about becoming a Candleland supporter, we're having a pretty great sale right now. You'll get premium ad-free feeds of all Canada Land shows, discounts on merch from our store, and exclusive bonus episodes from some of our podcasts. We want to make it as easy as possible for you to become a Canada Land supporter. So from now until the end of May, we have a special offer for our listeners. For $2 a month, you can become a supporter and do your part to ensure we can continue making this show. And we really like making this show for you. Basically, nothing costs $2 anymore. You could, like, get a bag of candy, a locker at a public swimming pool. I've been honestly trying to think of something that cheap, and I'm not getting far. So sign up for just $2 a month for the next six months. Just go to canadaland.com join, or click the link in your show notes to become a supporter today. The many, many months of COVID-19 pandemic response have eaten up nearly all of the Doug Ford governments, and most governments, bandwidth. Reacting to the virus has required billions of dollars, multiple states of emergency, and so, so many press conferences. It's been so omnipresent that it it almost makes you forget that the government was elected to do anything other than manage a pandemic. And a bang-up job they've done with that. I mean, like, how do you go into an election when your biggest selling point is, at least we're not Florida or Alberta? Today we're going to look at what the Ford government was elected to do, and what it was elected not to do and how it's positioning itself as the party of yes, despite a track record that's at best full of maybes. To the extent that they're all about yes, I think of it like a supervillain soaking in the sinister rays of whatever evil device or evil force and shouting yes, yes, as the power flows through them, becoming the kind of character that gets rendered in CG. Except here, the rays are the whims of the free market or whatever. That's that's not as fun. Allison Smith, publisher of Queen's Park Today, and I'm just sitting around wondering whether or not the promise to build a new GTA highway is enough to win a second majority government. I'm Jonathan Goldsby, news editor at Candleland, and all this talk of yes, no, and maybe has had the Malcolm in the Middle theme running through my head as we've scripted this episode. And this is Wag the Doug, a monthly podcast about Doug Ford. So, Jonathan, this is the first time we've recorded an episode while the Ontario legislature is actually in session since May. 
You'd think that would provide us with a whole new slew of vaguely dystopian legislation to alternately rage against and poke fun at. But if you look at the list of current bills before the legislature, only two of the 16 are actually government bills. Not counting the strictly procedural act to perpetuate an ancient parliamentary right, which is always funny and that much more so when you see the Honorable Doug Ford alongside it. So the two actual government bills are the York Region Wastewater Act, which sounds like a euphemism for sleeping with the fishes, and supporting People-Led Businesses Act of 2021, which is like as opposed to what? Like as opposed to the Fuck Those Guys Act of 2020? We're recording this on Monday morning, so by the time the episode comes out, there could be more government legislation on the order paper. And actually, right before we started recording, the Labor Minister, Monty McNaughton, teased plans for a new bill that would require temp companies and temp agencies to be licensed and ultimately to allow them to be fined if they pay workers below the minimum wage which also seems like a a bare minimum of of what a government should require. And I will note that early in their term, the PCs scrapped liberal-era rules that required temp workers to be paid the same as permanent ones. So they're kind of painting themselves as, as helping and saving the temp workers that they already previously screwed over. In general, for this fall session and, and the f- spring session that will follow it, uh, albeit a shorter spring session thanks to the election, I'm not holding my breath for anything too bold. Since the pandemic, and and truthfully, since the PCs have been elected, their vision and general efforts to do much of anything new have been pretty meager. I mean, it's always easier to take things apart than to build them up, which is what haughty people say when they deem criticism to be insufficiently constructive. But it's also true. An edge that conservative governments have over progressive ones is that dismantling systems and institutions is inevitably faster and easier than building out or expanding them. Want to design a planning regime that protects environmentally sensitive areas while encouraging responsible development? That takes time, the navigation of lots of competing interests. Want to say, fuck it, build anything anywhere? Pretty easy. While Doug Ford did have a campaign platform when he ran in 2018, it was pretty scant. Nothing like the dense 100-plus page policy book Aaron O'Toole released during the federal election campaign recently. The things we mostly heard about on the campaign trail were buck a beer, fire the Hydro One CEO, and get rid of Kathleen Wynne. Ford also pledged to cut red tape for businesses, which is a thing the PCs have actually done, uh, done a lot of, and also to lower the corporate tax rate, which is a thing they actually did not do. Oh, what happened there? Yeah, well, Ford campaigned on reducing Ontario's corporate tax rate from 11.5% to 10.5%, sort of in a bid to create jobs and open for business, yada, yada. Mm -hmm. But the PCs, they never opted to actually go through with that. Instead, they made a change to the tax code that allows businesses, in particular ones that own lots of expensive equipment or vehicles, to write off the depreciation of the value on a faster timeline, just kind of like a complicated tax thing, but uh, depreciation is kind of a way you can lower your profits for the year, basically. And they also increased electricity subsidies for manufacturing plants. So the taxpayer at this point is actually covering close to a billion dollars a year of the cost of running various plants. So combined, it actually seems like they did, in fact, cut the corporate tax rate in a different way that meant they didn't actually have to have headlines saying that they did that. But I think ultimately, from what I can tell, the cost sort of seems to even out to what they said 
cutting the tax rate would. I mean, that that's interesting. And I, <laughs> and I, if it wouldn't take us totally off track, I would actually want to probe more into that. So what, what, what did they follow through on? Well, they did get rid of the Kathleen Wynne era cap and trade scheme, which Ford had always dubbed the carbon tax. Although the federal government just enacted the same levy on Ontario anyways, and the Supreme Court held that up. They put up those gas pump stickers, then they got in trouble for that with the courts. They ripped up some wind farms, slashed the size of Toronto City Council, and came up a bunch of ways to override planning laws so that more developments can get built. It is, like you said, Jonathan, almost all the act of taking away things rather than coming up with new things, unless those things are subways and townhouses in the suburbs. They also said they would lower hydro prices by 12%, and that didn't happen. And like all governments, they also said they'd do stuff that they didn't then do. And some of that was bad stuff that we should be grateful they didn't do. But some was also good, actually. Yeah, where are my toe zones? That was the thing we talked about uh, back in March. That's the thing where the province is going to take like, a cue from Montreal and divide up the GTA's highways into four zones. Each would be the exclusive domain of a particular authorized towing company. Because basically, the current tour force have gotten so wildly out of hand that uh, free market competition has manifested as highway races and I think drive-by shootouts. I remember some gunplay. I can't remember if it was on the highway, but I think it was. Yeah, so the PCs had said when they announced this plan that it would be up and running this summer. Um, but anyone driving about the GTI highways can pretty easily tell that, that it's not. Now the official government website says the tow zones will come this winter. I don't know. Color me skeptical. I would not be surprised if this just never happens. Yeah, that sounds about right. They also released a Made in Ontario Environment Plan in 2018. Because this is a podcast, listeners can't see me rolling my eyes. That plan was supposed to include a carbon trust where polluting companies would have to pay a tax or a levy and the proceeds of that would be used to make factories all over the province less polluty. But the PCs also just never did that. The only real thing that came out of that environmental strategy is a Litter Awareness Day, which is the second Tuesday of May for those who celebrate. It's such a Jenga approach to governance, where they pull out the structural underpinnings of the state one by one and then layer shakier versions of those same bricks back on top, hoping the entire institution won't outright crumble while it's still their turn in power. The latest throne speech, which kicked off the fall session two weeks ago, also really didn't offer up much in the way of new plans. It mostly defended how the government handled the pandemic and made vague allusions to the fact that wages aren't keeping up with the cost of living, but didn't actually say how the government would change that. The only other thing they've really teased that is going to be part of their agenda before the next election campaign is some sort of long-term care reform. But it's an open question as to how much reforming that will actually entail. So one of the Ford government's new bills is the Supporting People and Businesses Act 2021. Which is, not to be confused with the previous Better for People, Smarter for Business Act 2019 and the Better for People, Smarter for Business Act 2020, all of which were introduced by the very real Associate Minister of Small Business and Red Tape Reduction. It's, again, one of those omnibus bills that makes largely superficial amendments to a couple dozen different pieces of legislation. And the game is always to figure out what they're bearing in there. Which of the apparently superficial tweaks is actually hugely consequential? Will it be letting cannabis shops sell their stuff online beyond the pandemic's end? Eh, probably not. Will it be the part where about making it easier for licensed restaurants to get approval for patio extensions? No, I think people probably like that. Uh, is it making police record checks free for volunteers? Oh, well, that sounds good. 
Probably maybe like something like the warrant and the searches for vehicles for the purpose of enforcing the Cannabis License Act. That that sounds like it could pose a problem. Or, or giving the Environment Minister the discretion to determine what level of environmental assessment a project will be subject to. Or the whole thing letting mining firms extract minerals for testing without submitting a full remediation plan. That, that sounds like it's sort of a you know foreseeable disaster. So the bill panders to cannabis companies, undermines environmental laws, and makes things easier on mining firms. The patio part seems cool, though. Remember when they made a big deal about making it legal for dogs to go on patios? That was weird. I actually totally missed that. I mean, I, 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 I mean I've seen more dogs on patios lately, but I actually thought that they just more places were getting bolder and stopped caring about the rules and were being like, fuck it, it's a pandemic. Dogs should be the least of your public health concerns. Yeah, it was just funny when they announced the change, which I think was like two years ago. It might have taken a bit longer to go into effect. But the notable part was a kind of subsequent social media campaign where all the PC MPPs were posting uh, what seemed to be like PC party approved images of dogs on patios all over Twitter for a couple weeks. Oh, weird. The other bill has a pretty good story. It's like you said, Bill 5, York Region Wastewater Act. And it comes from Environment Minister Dave Pacini. The PCs originally tabled it like two minutes before the House rose for the summer back in June and reintroduced it as soon as they possibly could after the throne speech. Basically, what it does is delay the government having to make a decision about a wastewater plant that's desperately needed in York Region. There was a government plan back in 2014 to build a new plant to deal with sewage in the area, which, because the population is growing, has to be built in order for new subdivisions to be developed. Which makes sense, right? More people, more poop water. The issue with that plant, which the province has already spent over $100 million planning for, is it's supposed to flow the sewage water into Lake Simcoe. And guess where a lot of PC MPP's ridings are? Right on the shores of Lake Simcoe. The other option is to make this existing pipeline that already carries uh, Aurora and Newmarket sewage water to Ajax even bigger. That plant funnels that wastewater, including a lot of water already from York Region, into Lake Ontario. It already needs upgrades, and it makes the lake near Ajax really disgusting. Like, you can swim in the Lake Ontario near Toronto or near Coburg, but you really can't in Ajax. Swimming in Ajax does sound like the cryptic title of a memoir whose metaphoric implications only make sense once you read it. I feel like going this into detail on a wastewater bill isn't what we'd normally do on the podcast. I disagree. But I think it's interesting because it really ties together so many things about the Ford government. Incentivizing housing sprawl to benefit developers without really thinking about anything else. Uh, You know, even in York Region, they granted a ministerial zoning order to PC donor Mario Cordellucci's company to build something called the Orbit in Innisfil, which is also right on Lake Simcoe and will basically quadruple the size of the current town. And it's another example of political void. It's a bill that literally does nothing other than allow the government to keep doing nothing for longer. And it's politicking. It's the PC party setting itself up to keep seats in next June's election. And what about this long-term care reform? I've had far too many occasions on the show to use the term shit-smeared concentration camps for the elderly. Uh, As of today, 4,020 long-term care residents have died of COVID in Ontario uh, since January. And frankly, it doesn't sound like the living conditions have always been much of a step up from that. 
This was the kind of atrocity that prompted this famously accountability-averse government to strike a commission. They did. And Rob Phillips, the PC's new long-term care minister, has that commission's 322-page report on his desk. It recommends vast reform, getting for-profit companies out of the business of providing care. It basically says, sure, if publicly traded companies like Extendicare or Chartwell want to own a bunch of real estate that includes long-term care homes and they want to build more of them, that's fine. But they shouldn't also be in charge of administering resident care. And it's hard to tell what Phillips is planning to do if he is going to try to end this uh, regime. He's being pretty cryptic about it. He's definitely not saying that's what he's doing. Uh, and over the past week, he's been bopping around the province announcing the sale of provincial land to build more homes. In Oakville, they just sold a parcel of land to Schlegel Villages, Inc., which operates homes where more than 100 residents died of covid It's not clear whether or not that company is going to have the contract to operate the home, but seems likely, and and they definitely didn't say the opposite. And last week, Phillips also announced the sale of another parcel of provincial land to a private equity firm called Arch Corporation, which builds itself on its website as offering unique real estate investment opportunities to global institutions and high net worth investors. This company is really something like at least Chartwell and Extendicare have websites with like happy looking elderly people on them and talk about care and communities. Arch really says the quiet part loud. So in addition to offering professional wealth preservation for ultra wealthy families, Arch offers an Arch Senior Care co-ownership fund. The fund objective is to, quote, generate stable long term cash returns in the senior care sector. Also, to learn more about our history, visit Conundrum Capital. It seems to me that the homes Arch already owns, that it does already have a few in Ontario, that they contract out the operations to care companies and they don't do it themselves. So that's kind of what the Long-Term Care Commission suggested. But it still feels very weird to me that selling provincial land to a private equity firm, which counts wealthy families from the Gulf Peninsula among its investors, according to the Toronto Star, is somehow the solution to the long-term care system that we've been waiting for? So maybe we do have a slew of new vaguely dystopian policies to alternately rage against and poke fun at. But I wouldn't exactly call it like an agenda. More of a, you don't like that law? Let me get rid of it for you. A cascade of incisions so specific that they come off as favors. That's pretty consistent with Ford's portrayal of himself and his government as a sort of concierge for businesses large and small. Being a concierge isn't really a vision or even much of an ideology. I mean, if anything, it's a bit like, you know, Rob Ford's approach to city hall work as a sort of customer service agent for constituents who found themselves annoyed by one thing or another. I mean, the challenge, though, is like, you know, you can pretty much only run on that once, or at least it gets harder when you're the one who's been in charge for a while. What then? One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, It's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. So, 
Given his Photoshop eraser tool set to four pixels wide approach to government, what is Ford going to campaign on this time around? That's a good question. We are starting to get a glimpse of that in some new ads that the PCs started running on TV and on the radio that feature the very focus group sounding tagline, the party of yes. I'm Doug Ford, leader of the Ontario PCs, and we're the party saying yes. Yes to more opportunity, bringing more workers into skilled trades. Yes to building highways you can drive on so you don't sit in gridlock. Yes to building homes more families can afford. We're the only party looking to the future and we're ready to build. Doug Ford, the yes man. Yes, he can. His cart was going like mad and yes, he said, yes, he will. Yes. Yeah, I mean, you can imagine Nick Kuvalis or Corey Tonight holding that focus group where they asked like, and how do you feel about yes? Uh-huh, uh-huh. And, and, and what about, what about no? Uh-huh, okay. What, what, okay, yeah, you don't say. So Allison, to hear him tell it, to what is it that he's saying yes? And who supposedly is saying no? Well, the second question is easy to answer. According to the PCs and to Doug Ford, it's the liberals and the NDP saying no, no, no to all of the government's proposals. The ones Ford mentioned in question period last week are a bit strange. He said that the opposition has been saying no to the increased number of ICU beds and to spending billions on the healthcare system, which I don't really recall them ever saying no to unless what he probably means is that there was like funding for the healthcare system in a budget bill and they voted against it for, you know, various reasons that had nothing to do with that particular part. I think that's his angle. But I'm going to ask the opposition, Mr. Speaker, why every single thing we've done, no matter if it's increasing the ICU beds to 3,100 beds, increasing the health budget by billions of dollars, it was no, no, no. Everything's no without a solution from the leader of the opposition. We're a party of yes. So just like when people say no to the way he wants to do things, they're, they're being obstructionist. Okay, I get it. So when Rob and Doug were at City Hall, it was all was all about saying no, no, no to stuff, although sadly the obvious Amy Winehouse joke would be rather tasteless in the moment. Um, but it came down to those things you want, those things you have, those things you think you as a Torontonian deserve, no. Sometimes for the sheer spite of it. Often for the sheer spite of it. Uh, I mean, it's well beyond any sort of abstract desire to smother property taxes. Rob would always, and Doug would very often, vote against accepting funding from other levels of government on the grounds that there is only one taxpayer and that any increase in the role or size of government, even a pair of public health nurses, was in itself objectionable. And even more so when neither they nor anyone they knew were personally benefiting from something. So what's with this yes bullshit? What they're doing with the ad I think is pretty simple. They're trying to frame themselves positively and seem like they're on people's sides. Talking about the future and being ready to build. Uh, You know, on that note, it's actually the mention of highways that I think is the most interesting because what they're teasing is what could become a central campaign issue. And that's Highway 413. Ah, lucky 413. I think we talked about that back in like, I don't know, I want to say April when we did our episode about... um, what was it about campaign financing and sort of the PC's fundraising machine? Because uh, what was it? The the star that was the one that star in the National Observer did a an investigation about looking at I guess the developers who own land along the proposed route of the highway and uh, their relationships with the PC party or something like that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. 
Actually, in that episode, we also talked about how Doug Ford was holding virtual fundraisers on like the same day he was, or, you know, the same 48 hour period that he was announcing like very controversial COVID restrictions, which does remind me of something we did talk about offline, Jonathan, that is that the reason we knew that he was doing that was because the PC party legally has to post uh, any fundraising events that it holds on its website. And they, for a long time, would say, Doug Ford will be in attendance or, you know, Minister Peter Bethlen Falvey will be in attendance. After people like yourself and myself started regularly tweeting about uh, a contrast, <laughs> tweeting about the event, the upcoming events and contrasting that with, you know, death tolls, they, they changed that, right? Yeah. So now they just kind of have a very general description of the event, not saying who will be there, uh, not saying where it will be other than like Toronto. And it turns out they never actually had to say who was attending. They finally took a look and realized, yeah, they just have to say like who or what the funding raising is in support of, not where or who's actually doing the fundraising. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But Highway 413 is important. It's basically just another giant mega highway, which the GTA is rimmed by and brimming with. Um, And it would run north of Vaughan and Brampton and kind of connect down to the 401 near Halton Hills. It was actually originally the Liberals' idea, but they eventually decided to cancel it because apparently it would only decrease commute times by 30 seconds. The PC's Ministry of Transportation now says that'll be 30 minutes. Who knows? Uh, There's no particular report saying that like the Liberals had. And it would also involve paving over parts of the Greenbelt, including a butterfly sanctuary and a ton of farmland. But it will ultimately also hike the value of a ton of land that's owned by developers who donate to the PCs, uh, as we mentioned about the, the Star National Observer reporting. And thusly, Doug Ford wants to build it. He tried to speed up the environmental assessment process for it. But earlier this year, the federal government decided to take over that process after a bunch of mayors in the area basically asked Ottawa to intervene. So now it's conducting what's called an impact assessment process on the project. This is all notable because until like two weeks ago, the PCs hadn't talked about the highway at all. Like it wasn't even mentioned in the budget, for example. But it came up in one of the ads Uh, one of the TV ads that people are seeing on their screens right now. And it was mentioned in a recent fundraising email. This is all to say that it's kind of the perfect yes, no campaign issue for Doug Ford because he can do what he loves most. And that's drag Justin Trudeau into it. If the feds don't complete the impact assessment on the highway by next May, Ford can strut through the election campaign calling Trudeau the guy who says no. Yeah, I mean, aside from the rhyming value, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, Caston Trudeau is the guy who says no is kind of like, you know, I guess he'll try that. But like, it, it certainly occurs to me that if Christian Freeland were prime minister or about to become prime minister next spring around the time of the election, that seems like it would be the Ford government's ideal, right? I mean, it's they could run on the same inherently or if you're kind or implicitly misogynist vaguely freudian raging against the 
mother figure who tells you no you can't play the way you want to play you can't have the fun you want to have they always love running against Trudeau and they could have certainly have get traction with that but it seems like for them their best case scenario would be treating Christopher Freeland the way that they treated Kathleen Wynne which is to say just tapping into that not super latent misogynist rage that uh, is pretty uh, reliable vote getter. I mean, they're already doing it with Andrea Horvath, right? Like she's the main target of the saying no ads. I mean, I think it's also notable just the fact that the, uh, you know, I cover, my company covers um, Alberta politics and Jason Kenney explicitly ran off of the impact assessment act. That's the federal government's law that lets it take over big infrastructure projects and make sure that like give it kind of a a more thorough national scope of analysis, uh, which is being used on pipelines. So Jason Kenney explicitly ran off of being against this impact assessment act. So the game plan, as it were, is already right in front of Doug Ford, but he can just do it with a highway instead of a pipeline. Yeah, yes, ab- absolutely. But I mean, in Alberta, pipelines seem to be a core part of uh, provincial identities, particularly for the conservative part of the population. Whereas highways, do people like, like, it's, I think it's a matter of convenience. It's something that'll touch and trigger and poke people and you know, animate them beyond the actual areas the highway will stretch through. But is it something that people associate? Is it like a core identity issue? People see saying no to highway as an affront to who they are and to their values, or it would just be them saying like, no, you have to drive for an extra 30 seconds. It's 30 seconds you won't be spending with your family. And now it's time for Foreseeable disaster of the month. My foreseeable disaster has to do with virtual learning in schools. The Toronto District School Board revealed earlier this month that 68% of its high school classrooms are operating under the so-called hybrid learning model. That means in 68% of classes, which are full of teenagers... The teacher is both teaching to students on Microsoft Teams and to the students in the room. Microsoft Teams. If you think Zoom is bad, oi. Anyway. (laughs) Microsoft Teams. (laughs) The reason the school boards are doing it this way is obviously because of the pandemic. Many, many students opted to do virtual learning again this year because they're not vaccinated yet. Uh, concerns with outbreaks in schools, and they were all sort of forced to make the decision back in the summer, and most boards won't let you switch. So if you said in July, I want to take online class because you didn't know what the fall would be like, and the fall's not so bad, well, too bad, it's too confusing, you got to stay at home. But rather than set up like actual online schools where there's teachers in charge of just teaching kids virtually, They decided to keep students tied to their actual school in their neighborhood and let them just take basically any class they want uh, online through there. So they're still kind of like with the same, you know, cohort and teachers that are ostensibly live near them and are, you know, their friends and stuff. So there's perks to that. But the problem is that it like totally sucks for teachers and assumably for students as well. 
I mean, it's so hard to speak to people that are in a room and also to people online at the same time. It's such a stretch, you know, that we like, that's what teachers have to do now. And, you know, unless you're in those classrooms, you don't really see how hard and annoying it is. And, you know, it's something that education minister Stephen Lecce has been sort of lurching towards for a long time. And, and why foreseeable disaster is that a lot of online learning just becomes a lot more permanent. I don't know if you remember, but before the pandemic, he was trying to make it mandatory for high school students to do one online course every year, which was billed as like a cost savings measure. And there was a ton of pushback and the PCs eventually reversed course. But it seems like he's getting closer and closer to getting his wish. And that's something that's ultimately going to, you know, leave students behind, shrink education funding. And at least as long as this hybrid model lives on, you know, burn, burn out teachers. My foreseeable disaster is... Okay, it's kind of cheating because it's like the same one, one of the same ones it's kind of always been, but it's been Ontario's perhaps too eager reopening plan. It's just, as we've seen around the world in jurisdiction after jurisdiction, governments, you know, think they're doing well and maybe they are doing well. Imagine the pandemic. And then they start to, you know, relax restrictions maybe a little sooner than they should have. Maybe uh, they relax a whole bunch at once and you can't really tell what, uh, you know, you, you, it's not really a solid experiment to figure out what things are causing more infection rates, what things aren't. But as soon as you start to get confident, as soon as you start to get arrogant, and last, you know, last week, Doug Ford was quite proud of, uh, you know, Ontario's case rate, uh, which is, you know, respectable in the North American context. Although I couldn't figure out exactly what the hell he was talking about and saying it's like the best anywhere in North America because I think Newfoundland, for example, uh, is would have some things to say about that. Um, but it seems like we're tiptoeing back to a place where things could get out of control really quickly again. Doesn't mean, I mean, you know, you always have to figure out, you know, what are we willing to live with and tolerate? We can't permanently closed forever but i would think with the weather finally getting cold this week you know you sort of let that play out see what this shift to more indoor activities means for everything (laughs) and sort of use that as a bit of a control first of all first you'd see what first you'd see what the effect thanksgiving had if any and then you'd see what effect the colder weather has and then maybe you try to relax restrictions but I'm pretty sure they're going to be pretty eager to turn things back on, open things back up further, get the restaurant industry to shut up. And um, I suspect it's going to be another challenging winter. And that was Wag the Doug, a show about paving over butterfly sanctuaries. And Toronto's Perma Gray. 
I'm Jonathan Goldsby, and you can find me on Twitter at Goldsby. I'm Allison Smith, and you can find me on Twitter at, at Queen's Park Today. Our producer is Demi Lola-Oname. Our executive producer is Kieran Outsorn. Our finishing producer is Kevin Sexton, and our theme music is by Nathan Burley. Our podcast is listener-supported. If you like what we do, support us. Go to wagthedog.com or click on the link in the show notes. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.